Welcome to NLBM Day's Lumber Talks. I'm Ben Gann, Vice President of Legislative and Political Affairs for NLBMDA. I am here with Frank Moore. Frank recently retired as NLBMDA's Regulatory Counsel, where he represented NLBMDA for 10 years on issues such as OSHA's crane rule. OSHA has recently revised the crane rule developed back in 2010. That rule established certification requirements for crane operators falling within the scope of the rule. Those requirements were postponed several times as OSHA took time to address concerns raised by stakeholders about the role of certification in ensuring the competency of operators. That resulted in a proposal in June 2018 with revisions published on November 9, 2018. Frank and I will be diving into why the rule was revised, how these changes affect the work of dealers and their crane operators, and what steps should be taken in order to ensure operators are in compliance with the rule. Please note that part two of our crane rule discussion will be out next month for a closer look at the training and evaluation requirements. Thanks for joining us. I'm here today with Frank Moore, retired NLBMDA Regulatory Counsel. Frank retired at the end of 2018, but his knowledge of the OSHA crane rule lives on, and so he's here today to talk with us about the OSHA crane rule. Nice to see you, Frank. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. So, Frank, why did OSHA make these changes, and can you give us an initial overview of them? Right. Well, in 2017, when OSHA last extended the compliance deadline for operator certification, the agency made clear it planned to propose revisions based on concerns that, one, third-party certification bodies were not able to certify operators based on capacity of the uh, crane uh, versus just type of crane. And second, concerns that certification alone could not serve as a measure of operator qualification as originally assumed in the 2010 rule. So the the major changes are elimination of the requirement that operators be certified by capacity. They only need to be certified by type of crane. In our case, that would be the truck-mounted articulated boom crane. The second, the revisions also create an ongoing duty on the part of the employer to train and evaluate operators on the specific equipment that they will use on the job. This duty is ongoing in that there may be times when the operator will need additional training and need to be reevaluated, even after he had been already evaluated. So, and I should note that there's an underlying assumption made by OSHA with these revisions just up front uh, that we should talk about, and that is OSHA characterizes the certification as a learner's permit, which by definition means the operator needs something more before being able to operate the crane without supervision. Mm-hmm. So, so these revisions, these 2017 revisions to the 2010 rule that we've all been aware of, th- these revisions are all about what more is needed in addition to certification Uh, to ensure that operators can safely operate specific types of cranes. Well, it sounds like OSHA has concluded that training and evaluation is what is needed here. That's right, right. And again, these revisions apply only to those crane operations that fall within the scope of the crane rule. Right, and that's important. One part of the rule that did not change is the material delivery exemption and I'll just digress here, the exemption applies to dealers who use a truck-mounted articulating boom crane, that's our piece of equipment, 
with a functioning overload protection device and a fork assembly fixed to the end of the boom. The exemption specifies the type of material you can hoist, like sheet goods or packaged material, and it prohibits hoisting and holding prefabricated structures such as trusses. So all of these are activities that go beyond the simple delivery of material to the construction site that is anticipated by our material delivery exemption. So as, as Frank just mentioned, we are going to cover the material delivery exemption in a separate podcast, but for purposes of this discussion, we are assuming the crane operation is covered by the rule. So for example, the dealer is setting trusses or engaged in a hoist that is otherwise assisting the construction process outside the material delivery exemption. Right. So Frank, what changed for those covered by the rule is the type of certification um, and the duty to train and evaluate. Is that what it is? Right. Yeah. And again, the revisions eliminate the requirement that crane operators be certified by equipment capacity. So still have to be certified by equipment type. And of course, we know the type of equipment our people tend to use. The revisions also add the training and evaluation requirements. Although I might add that OSHA has always assumed and employees have always had the duty to train and evaluate their operators, right? Specifically, employers are required to provide training on particular type and model of crane that their operators will use and the type of hoist that they'll make. So that's specified in the new revisions, even though there's always been an assumption that employers have the general duty to train and evaluate their employers in terms of their ability to operate this safely. I'll say one other thing, in in addition to the training and certification requirement, the employer must evaluate that operators can safely operate the equipment they will use on the job and in the way they will use it on the job. Those are the, the key changes. Train and evaluate. Okay, so you were citing OSHA's words from the final rule. Here's a quote I picked up on. The duty to evaluate is, quote, in addition to certification, not as an alternative to certification, end quote. And the two are intended to work in tandem, as the rule says. So further, the rule states, quote, the certification provides an independent assessment of general baseline knowledge and skill and the employer evaluation focuses on specific knowledge and skills needed for the safe operation of particular equipment for particular tasks. Yeah, and that's a good summary of sort of what these revisions really really mean. In in addition to the certification, they're sort of enhancing that learner's permit that OSHA has now characterized certification to be. So this third element, the duty to evaluate the crane operator, is intended to ensure that an operator has the skills, and I'm going to try to quote as well, OSHA, skills, knowledge, and ability to recognize and avert risks to operate equipment safely. And that's probably as close as we have as a definition to what OSHA now means by operator qualification. To qualify an operator is to go through the training, certification, and evaluation process. So. Are the training and evaluation requirements totally new to this rule, or is this something that's kind of been in place, but now there's greater emphasis on it? Yes and no. Uh, So the 2010 rule, the original rule, we can refer to it that way, assumed both training and evaluation were already going on. That sort of gets to the 2010 rule's assumption of what qualifies an operator before certification. 
That included the uh, duty to ensure the operator is able to operate the crane safely. But the 2010 rule created this interesting scenario, and this is where the 2017 changes come into play. The original rule assumed that once certified, the employer's duty to train and evaluate would be phased out. The assumption being that certification was enough once we get the operator certified, and that's all we needed to do, and yeah. we could rely on that entirely. So what's changed is now the employer's duty to train and evaluate continues even after certification. And as we mentioned earlier regarding material delivery exemption, the exemption always did and always will carry a duty on the part of the employer to evaluate and train operators, again, to ensure that they can safely operate the equipment and make those hoists that are essential to material delivery. So yes, new in the sense that they are now ongoing and are intended to be in addition to certification if you're operating within the rule, but not new in that there's always been a duty to train and evaluate and make sure your operators can operate the equipment they're assigned to. So let's look at these requirements in more detail. Uh, what does training look like under the new rule? And let's start with the concept of operator in training that is included in the rule. Right. The revisions allow the employee to operate equipment as an operator in training prior to being certified and evaluated, provided that he or she is properly supervised. So that supervision is going to be important, but the status is operator in training. That also applies to an operator who's been certified, but not yet evaluated by the employer. So again, you've got this continuum of training, certification, and evaluation. And until you meet all of those, the operator's technically an operator in training. So here's how OSHA put it. The rule allows experienced and certified operators to become accustomed to performing new crane operations or operating somewhat different equipment while being evaluated by the employer for that purpose. It also allows a newly hired operator to run the equipment while the employer gauges the operator's crane knowledge, operating skill, and training needs. So the revisions recognize that on-the-job training is an important part of all of this and that you've got this operator in training being supervised on the job. OSHA acknowledges that the evaluation process is going to vary between employee to employee. So you've got that new employee, he's going to need more training than perhaps a seasoned employee that you've had already and has already gone through extensive training. It might also depend on the type or model of equipment. For example, new equipment may take operators more time to become proficient with new controls. Think about learning how to use a remote for the first time yeah. if all you've had is that top seat in an older model of a boom crane. So yeah, you get a new crane, you've got to reevaluate based on training. So in explaining the revisions, and I'll quote again here, the competency process is often informal and integrated in day-to-day -day work with operators in training working closely with experienced operators in on-the-job training who mentor them and show them how to use the equipment. And we're doing that for the most part. I think even within our exemption, that is sort of the norm for us. So that's a good, succinct way of sort of looking at 
what this operator and training means and what the significance is. So once trained, certified, and evaluated, is that it? Has the employer met all the requirements of the rule? Right. So the revisions include the requirement that employers must continue to assess if additional training is needed after certification and after the initial evaluation. So this is very much like the OSHA forklift standard, which requires the employer to provide additional training under certain circumstances, such as an observed error that an operator is making, or as we sometimes mention, a a near miss of one sort or another, or the introduction of a new type of forklift. So we see this within the domain of forklift training and and evaluation and re-evaluation. So what the revisions require is that ongoing assessment of if an operator needs to be retrained or additional training is required and whether that additional evaluation is required. And let me just emphasize that the revisions also clarify that the employer's duty to train is both equipment specific, meaning the type of crane and and often the model if that is unique to that crane set of controls and, and control panels and also it's, it's specific to the tasks involved. So equipment specific and task specific and it also extends until the employer has evaluated that operator in training or again as we mentioned if there's a determination there's subsequent training is required. So what about the scenario of training certification and evaluation? Is it always going to be in that specific order or can it be a mix and match or a different sequence? Right, right. That's a good point. And so no, the final step will always be evaluation. Okay. But the employer may provide initial training in preparation for getting the operator certified uh, and wait until after certification to provide additional training on that specific type of equipment that the employee will use. And look, your operator comes back with certification. Uh, that's not really going to assure you that he can make the specific hoists you need him to make, right? So that requires the on-the-job training, observation, and evaluation by a skilled operator. Uh, we've already mentioned there's an ongoing duty to provide additional training when needed. OSHA does not specify when in this progression the operator needs to get certified or when you determine that reevaluation is required. That's just part of the process that you need to go through as you've got somebody out there using the equipment. I'll say one other thing, okay. uh, it, because this points to, I think, one of the rulemaking approaches used by OSHA in this revision, and that is there's an intention to give employers the flexibility to customize training. So as long as the training is effective in assuring uh, operators can safely use that equipment and perform the hoists, then that's, that's what the goal is. So there's flexibility. There's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. Safely operating the equipment and safely performing the hoist, that's what OSHA wants, and obviously that's what we want, right? Right. So again, flexibility means duration and depth of training and evaluation. It doesn't have to be that one-size-fits-all. For example, OSHA recognizes that experienced operators will not need novice-level training. The employer can determine the level of practical and formal training each operator needs. The key is that the training must be effective uh, in ensuring that the operator develops the skills, knowledge, and ability 
to recognize and avoid risks necessary for safe crane operation in a variety of conditions and just emphasize that these are OSHA's words in terms of guidance and in terms of why we are going through this training and evaluation in addition to certification scenario. It's the knowledge, ability, and skills to recognize and avoid risks that are necessary to safely operate that crane. That's what this is all about. Thanks, Frank. We'll stop here and look at training and evaluation in more detail in our next podcast. And as mentioned earlier, we will also do a separate program on the material delivery exemption. So, Frank, why don't you summarize what we've covered here? So if you operate within the material delivery exemption and are therefore not covered by the crane rule, you're good. Uh, You continue to have a duty to train and ensure that your operator can safely operate the equipment and perform the hoists required on the job. For example, hoisting sheet goods onto a structure. If you're covered by the rule, meaning if if you've gone beyond our exemption, and are assisting the the construction process, your operator must be certified, but only by type of equipment now. You will also have that ongoing duty to provide training and undertake an evaluation to ensure that the operator can safely operate this equipment in the way that it will be used on the job. Again, similar to what we would do within our exemption anyway, we talked about it being an ongoing requirement. Uh, An example here is, you know, you're operating outside the material delivery exemption because you're hoisting and holding trusses of some sort like that. That's sort of a summary of, I think, where we've been. Thanks, Frank. This is Ben Gann, and you've been listening to NLBMDA's Lumber Talks. If this episode has sparked any questions for you, please take advantage of our new Ask the Experts program by emailing us at asktheexperts at dealer.org. That's it for now, folks. Make sure to tune in next month, and until then, stay safe.